Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. that time of night you can't stay up tight so come and join the people and i'm feeling all right he run away Joining us now is the author of Whole Brain Living, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. It's great to be with you. Thank you. So when I called you and you answered the phone, you had this grand entrance. You said, hello. Do you always answer the phone like that? Well, I have to say I'm a pretty enthusiastic girl, so I'm guessing yes. (laughs) Have you always been like that? Or was there a certain point in your life where it just started clicking? Uh, no, I've always been a pretty friendly girl, I think. So, yeah, <laughs> guilty as charged. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in a part of the country that's very friendly? I grew up in Terre Haute, Indiana, so not that far from St. Louis. No, not at all. In fact, I we have family. My wife in Ohio and my family's in Michigan, so we always drive through there on our way. Go down 70 up to uh, Indianapolis, and then depending on where we're going, we might go straight north through Indiana to Michigan, or we might go to uh, Dayton and then up to Michigan that way. Yeah. Yeah, we're neighbors. Yeah, not bad at all. And in, in- and, you know, who's your hospitality? We're pretty friendly people. Yes. I worked in Fort Wayne for a while. Do you know that Hoosier means something different in St. Louis? <laughs> I kind of hate to ask. Okay. So okay. I, I didn't know this either. So when I was in Fort Wayne, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to say you're a Hoosier, and it's such a great state. Yeah. And when I moved here to St. Louis, when you use the term Hoosier, they use it as, like, redneck. It's like something that's like that. It's, it's like, very rednecky is the, probably the best way to put it. Oh, I see. Not necessarily a compliment. No, it's not. Uh, you know, they don't use it as a term of endearment. <laughs> they use it in yeah. a different way. We, which, yeah. Well, you know, even here, Ryan, we have no clue what Hoosier means. Yeah. We just know that we're Hoosiers. Yeah. How did you, by the way, get an interest <laughs> in the brain, in the way we think, in the characteristics of the brain? I grew up because to interest in the brain because I have a brother who was just, he's only 18 months older than I am, 
And so he was my constant companion, and he was different from me. And I didn't know what that, you know, I didn't know what that meant. And as a child, of course, I had no idea that somebody could not be normal. All I knew was he was different from me. And so I, I really tuned in to, to the brain and human behavior and facial um, vocalizations and expressions. And I just became fascinated because he was so different. Yeah. What was the age gap between you two? A year and a half. Yeah. Is he older or are you older? He was older. Huh. So when you start so to... So that was particularly... So that was particularly confusing. Yeah. Well, you're younger and you're starting to observe these sort of things. Did he notice anything? No. No, he still he still doesn't notice anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, he has a different reality than the rest of us do. So what does that mean? Does he like a test subject for you? Do you always run things by him? Because that's kind of your, your base filter <laughs> where you try to figure things out. Uh, well, he's, uh, you know, uh, schizophrenia is a very interesting disorder. Mm-hmm. And um, so eventually he would grow up to, to be... Uh, uh, defined as schizophrenic, and um, I was in graduate school at the time that he was finally diagnosed. And I have to say, a part of me was a little relieved because that meant that he was the one that didn't fit in, as opposed to me. Yeah, you'll have to explain uh, schizophrenia because I feel like through the '90s that the, there was the different definition of it. It was something that was it was characterized in a way that it really wasn't. So when you, when you talk about schizophrenia, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. So schizophrenia uh, at a medical level is a split away from reality. Mm-hmm. It's not personality disorder. It's not multiple personality. It's when a brain is processing information in a way that doesn't organize it in the same way that a, a neurotypical person would. Mm-hmm. So it's a split from normal reality. Yeah, there was the wrong so, way of looking at it in pop culture for the longest time, kind of misdiagnosing it as something else. Yeah, it was uh, uh, it was tough uh, back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And in, it, even back in the 60s and 70s, um, the world was blaming the schizogenic mother for resulting in these children. And it's like, well, if that were the case, all of her children would have ended up a little like that. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the case. And so... Uh, but in the 70s, really, there was a push for the biological nature of what's going on at a cellular level, which cells are communicating with which other cells, with which chemicals, and in what quantities of those chemicals. And they found really some major differences in how they're wired. Yeah. When you start looking at the brain and the way it functions and things, you have a certain you know, understanding of the way the world works, and then you try to adapt the, our mindset into that. Is it kind of the opposite in ways? Do we kind of look at it and say, well, uh, we mostly live in our own world, and our world is shaped by the way we think? I think that it's uh, uh, it's going to end up being a combination. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we so we are nature and nurture. We are born with circuits, Uh, a bunch of cells and then the cells are connected in circuits and every ability we have is because we have cells that are performing that function and then if the cells go offline we simply no longer have that function but the brain is this this growing learning machine so it's not like 
like um, we were taught years ago where all the cells are in position and then and then, you know, that's all we have and the connections are the connections and that's all we're going to get. Instead, we know that the brain has neuroplasticity. So different neurons, depending on the stimulation come in from the environment, can rearrange which other cells they're communicating with, which is how we actually learn. So as you and I are speaking to one another, our brain cells are actually changing around in how they're communicating with one another. You know, I did an interview once, and it wasn't that long ago, where it talked about the human soul. Is it in your brain? Is it in your body? Because they say that there's even neurons and things that are outside of your head. There's some that they can find in different parts of your body. And they were talking about it mostly because they were experimenting with head transplants and what that would mean. If there was a head transplant, does your soul go with you? Because where is it in your neurons? Where is it? What is that in you? So what do you think about your soul, who you are? Is it all in the brain? I don't think so at all. I think every, every, so you know what, when you stop and you think about, we come from a single cell. So uh, mom's egg and dad's sperm get together. They unite that new combination of DNA. That, that cell, this zygote cell has energy inside of it. It, so does it have a consciousness? That's a big question because that single cell is going to multiply itself at a rate of 250,000 times per second for nine months in order to manifest as the, the fetal body that's going to be born. So there's an energy ball around that. I mean, there's no time for the cells to be pausing to think. They're on automatic reproduction. So if there's a consciousness, it's the consciousness that dwelled inside of that original cell that then motivated all of that combination to create that body. So in my opinion, if you're looking at the, the, the soul or the consciousness of the soul, it's going to be in every cell inside of the body, not just the cells of the brain. In fact, the, the brain cells are going to then rearrange themselves in a certain way that they're going to shift away from that normal, that consciousness of the body so that, uh, we can actually have um, a past and a future. Well, that single zygote cell it had was the present moment. And as we look at our brain, our right brain, all it has is the present moment. But the left brain is able to bring information in, compare it to the past, and project into the future. Wow. You know, I, I looked at that more as a philosophical type of question, but there are some scientific answers to it. When you start studying the brain, do you divulge into those uh, topics? Does that become part of your education where you discuss this, or are you just basically, uh, hey, we're, we're just going to look at the microscope and what it shows, and that's kind of where we end? You know, it was really interesting because I was uh, in college back in, well, I was doing my doctoral work in the 90s. And what I realized was that there are two subjects that we don't talk about professionally, but we always talk about around the, the uh, lunchroom. And the two subjects were one, consciousness, and two was energy and per, the, per, the potential of a consciousness of energy. So it used to be taboo to talk about this stuff, but, you know, I think just about every neuroscientist goes into neuroscience because they're fascinated by these questions. And, and now we're finally at a time in society where we can talk about it publicly and with one another publicly. Yeah. 
and this is the type of things that people are probably most interested in. They might not understand the nuts and bolts of what goes on, but they like to talk about this. And there's a lot of different conversations about it. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor has an upcoming book called Whole Brain Living, The Anatomy of Choice in the Four Characters That Drive Our Life. Out for pre-order now. You can find her online. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor continues with us right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. All the news and all that matters to you. The Voice of St. Louis KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. I'm Ryan Recker on Facebook at Ryan Recker Radio. You can find us on there. I stopped short of asking Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor to analyze my brain. I don't know if she's able to do that over the phone, but she has a lot of experience, and I may be afraid of what she finds. She has a new book that's coming up called Whole Brain Living. It's out for pre-order now. World-renowned, really. I mean, she's been all around and has been interviewed by some pretty interesting people. Were you a guest on Oprah's show? Yes, I was. What was that like? <laughs> it was fun. You know, Oprah's, uh, Oprah's cool. What I like about Oprah is uh, Oprah's fascinated with story. And she's really wonderful at, at listening and uh, letting people share their experiences and then see how other people can relate to those experiences. So it was fun. I was on the TV show, and I was also uh, the premier guest on her Soul Series uh, many, many, many years ago. That is pretty neat, though, because I think when you talk about interviewers, at least for me, as someone that interviews a lot of different guests and fascinating people like yourself, I always look at people that are really good at interviewing, and Oprah is probably the one of the best out there. There's very few that could be in her league. I think she's superb at what she does. I mean, she's, she's, when, when you have her attention, you have all of her attention. And, and you know, that's a very special connection. Mm. And she doesn't decide so much what she's going to talk about beforehand. She really goes with the flow. And, there's, you know, you know it's an art form to do a, a, give a good interview. Yeah, it really is. When you start looking at the brain, and the different parts that make up the characters, because uh, part of your book, A Whole Brain Living, four characters that give us the power of choice to live our best life. When, when you talk about different characteristics that are inside of us that we might not necessarily recognize, how do you quantify that? How do you look at something that may seem more abstract and then find a way to apply it in a, and, and explain it in a way that you're like, wow, that actually does make sense? Um, I don't see it as abstract at all. Mm -hmm. um, I see it as, you know, when I experienced my stroke and I wiped out my whole left hemisphere, I lost my past, all memory of my past, my profession, uh, my academia, everything, my relationships. I didn't know what a mother was, much less who my mother was. Uh, so I was completely void of all information about the external world. But I was still completely conscious and capable of not communicating with others, but having the, the magnificent experience of the present moment, the richness of the present moment, all my sensory systems exploding into a collage of, of this moment. And what I, so whenever I look at somebody who's had any kind of trauma, I look at what have they gained, not necessarily what have they lost, but what have they gained because now 
they are no longer inhibited by whatever they had had before. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I lost my left hemisphere, I still had a consciousness of the present moment. And anatomically, my left hemisphere, our left hemisphere, has each hemisphere has a emotional group of cells, and it has thinking groups of cells. And what I realized was that as I was rebuilding my brain over an eight-year period of time, that not only did certain um, subsets of skill set come back online, but a personality came online with it, a hmm. character. Yeah, so, so think about it. When, when you, when you um, go to work uh, and you're speaking and you're organizing and you're detailed and uh, your mind, you have a certain character about you and you probably hold your body a certain way. You speak a certain way. You have a certain tone in your voice. Some people like that part of you. Some people probably not so much. They prefer a different part of you. But these are different parts of ourselves that are not just different parts of ourselves, but there are different parts because they're anatomically separate groups of cells functioning as modules, resulting in skill sets, behaviors, and these four characters. And, and it, you know, it's, it's, it, most, so many of us have been talking for decades about the, the different archetypes, and actually the archetypes lay completely evenly over these four characters, which makes sense because they're all anatomically based. Now, that's interesting, and I'm going to guess you can't find yourself on Facebook because you see people posting those surveys, and they'll say things like, find out what brain you are, left brain, you know, what all this stuff. You probably have an urge to jump into some of those conversations and dispel some of these little surveys that people are taking online that tell them things that are inaccurate. Well, you know, there, there is some that is, is actually true. The difference between what I talk about and what the rest of the world has been talking about since the 70s is, um, you know, first of all, there's this myth that we only use 10% of our brain. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, that's just an absurd concept to me. Neurons are social creatures that function in networks. And when neurons are isolated from other neurons, they die. It's kind of like people. We're social creatures. We need stimulation from our network or we become isolated and we become unhealthy and we die. So if it's alive and it's in your head, you're using it, number one. And the second myth is that the right brain is our emotional brain and our left brain is our rational brain. Now, even though it is true that our left thinking brain is our rational thinking group of cells, our limbic system of our emotional cells are evenly divided between the two hemispheres. And those two groups of cells function completely separately from one another. So the right brain has emotions about the present moment, which is more experiential. What does it feel like? What's the temperature in the air? What's it, the softness of the clothing on my body? How do I feel? What, you know, just the experience of what's going on. Um, if I'm walking in nature, how am I feeling about that? But the left brain emotional system pulls us immediately into the past and says, is there any reason that I should look at this, this incoming stimulation as a threat or as a danger so that I need to push away from it? Mm. So the left brain gives us a past and an experience of the future, which is temporally a time other than the right here, right now. 
So we have these two magnificent machines that operate completely differently, but each of those hemispheres have both emotions and thinking tissue. Wow. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor has a book coming out called Whole Brain Living. Very fascinating look at not only her life, but her research onto the human brain. She suffered a stroke, and that really changed the way that her research went in the direction it went because she learned a lot about herself and how the brain operates when you lose a part of your brain through something traumatic like that. So I was curious if there's any application to what we see with famous sports cases where an athlete who has a lot of concussions later after we find out through those concussions may cause them to do things that they wouldn't normally do, something violent. So we'll talk to Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor after the break. You can find her book, Whole Brain Living. Pre-order it now on Overnight America KMOX. Welcome back. I'm always fascinated to learn about the human brain and what goes into it. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor is someone that has committed a lot of her life to the human brain, the way we look at things in her new book that's coming out here soon in just a few weeks, Whole Brain Living, the anatomy of choice and the four characters that drive our life. You can pre-order it now if you go look her up on Amazon, Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Something I wondered about and you see this in the news, mostly with sports players who had concussions or certain head injuries and over a certain amount of time after their playing career. And sometimes it's not even far after their playing career that they later are in the news for committing, you know, violent crimes or something really terrible, something destructive. And right. they go back and they say it's because of these concussions. It's because of their playing time, these head injuries, playing football or whatever yeah. it is. So why is it that sometimes someone could suffer, like you mentioned, a stroke and it could it could take out a part of your brain and you find that it's it doesn't have the same reaction of someone who has a brain injury that may have had a part of their brain damaged? Well, when you think about the cells in the brain, Every ability is because of specific cells that are performing that function. And there's some 800 billion neurons inside of our head. So that's a lot of cells in a very small place. And when someone experiences a trauma, the physiology of the brain shifts around those, those neurons. So let's say if you have a stroke or if you have a concussion, and you have some bleeding into the space between neurons, neurons, uh, blood is toxic to neurons. Hmm. So it makes them completely paralyzed and non-functional. And the thing about concussions and trauma is that if you don't let a trauma heal before you traumatize it again, as someone might do if they have a profession in football, your the the it becomes more of an exponential trauma instead of just another little trauma so so that's what's going on with professionals who are having routine head trauma is that the cells never get to go back to functioning at normal and then everything starts to skew around because if you've got a large group of cells that now are not performing their function, then you're still going to have a, the rest of the brain doesn't stop and say, hey, you guys aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. Instead, they create a new network around them and things change because we're living beings. Everything physiologically is constantly in change and we're still living our life and, and having different experiences. 
You know, if so, if blood is toxic to the neurons, what would be the opposite of that? If people are always wondering, what can I do to help with my brain health when I start to age? They see family members who have a decline in cognitive functions and they try to figure out ways to to slow that down. So what helps the brain when it comes to like what would be the opposite of the toxic nature of the uh, the blood? What would be the opposite that would actually help the brain? Sleep. Mm. sleep sleep is sleep is a time if you stop and you think that your brain is made up of some 800 billion neurons and then for every neuron there's another 10 little glial cells that act as glue to hold everybody in their position and they have lots of sophisticated jobs based on the chemistry of the brain and cells are these little tiny eating machines and they perform their function through the creation of energy, and they do things, and they create waste. And moment by moment by moment, we are, we are bringing in trillions of bits of data moment by moment for these little neurons to process. So they're busy. They are eating, and they are creating waste in the space between them. And when we go to sleep, that's essentially the time that the garbage cleaners come out and they flush out all that stuff between our brain cells so that we can function again. So that's one of the reasons why if we don't get enough sleep, we wake up and we feel foggy in the head. Well, part of the reason why we're foggy is because we've still got a lot of waste in there. Mm -hmm. And if we don't sleep and we don't sleep and we don't sleep over time, then the waste keeps building up and it paralyzes the neurons from really being able to function like they can when they're healthy. So number one is sleep. And then number two is going to be pay attention to what you're feeding yourself. If you're drinking a lot of caffeine and you're trying to stimulate what they're doing, at some point we're alive. We're not a machine. We're a push and a pause creature. So we have to be able to push and be, you know, work and let it, let it be on. And then we have to pause and let it take a break. Mm. Um, and that's the time at which it gets to rebuild itself. If we're eating a lot of sugar, sugar is like a little, the molecule itself is, is like a little razor blade, hmm. which is why it causes inflammation. It just kind of floods through the, the vascular system and it, it like cuts the walls of the blood vessels as it goes, which results in inflammation. So, so really paying attention to, I'm, a, I'm made up of 50 trillion beautiful molecular geniuses, these gorgeous cells, and they're alive. And when I get sick, it's because they are not doing well. So if I want good mental health, I need to consider what is my brain health. Mm. So what's the mysteries that you're still trying to figure out in your own professional life? What, what are the things that really drive you to continue research? You know, what has driven me is this, this latest book. Um, I never thought I would write another book, but... Uh, at the end of my TED Talk, I said, we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world. And I've had over 300,000 people write me and say, how do I do that? You can do that, but how do I do that? And so it has taken me all these years to figure out how do I verbalize this in a way that we respect the science and it's easy enough for people to understand how can they embody whole brain living and how do they, you know, we can say to people, well, you know, you could have made a better choice there. And people mm -hmm. say, well, don't you think if I knew what my better choice was, I would have made it. And it's like, 
knowing the four characters, how our brain is structured with our two emotional and our two thinking brains, each of those has an opinion and those become our choices. So every time we're trying to make a decision, we actually have four different characters inside of ourselves vying for the microphone so that it can make the decision for us. But as we better understand our own four characters, we then have the power to choose which of those characters we want to lead forward in the next moment so that we can live more consciously. Wow. So if people wanted to look up your book and the things that you're doing, uh, where can they go? Do you have a good website? Um, Hay House is putting that out. Um, It's going to be drjilltaylor.com. And um, Amazon already has us for pre-order on the uh, on Amazon for the book, Whole Brain Living, Joe Bolte-Taylor. And uh, I really, be, I, th- I think it's an absolutely beautiful book. And I can guarantee anybody who reads that book and gets to know their four characters, they cannot live the same life they lived before because all of a sudden they have awareness, not just of themselves, but of the four characters in every other person they encounter. Mm. And boy, all of a sudden, wow, we have a new level of awareness. So this could be a good management type of book, too, when people are trying to learn how to better interact with other people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, this book is fat. The beauty of it is everybody's, everybody has a brain. <laughs> and getting to know, you know, well, it could be debatable. So I mean, how to use it better. <laughs> it's like a roadmap to yeah. how to get your brain to do what you want it to do. I was going to say you're on the internet, so there is a debate there about everyone having a brain. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Jill Bolte, author of Whole Brain Living, you can find the book online, pre-order, and it was real fascinating discussion here. I really appreciate the time, and thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Wow. A world-renowned and famous person in her field. Very fascinating there. She joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Got a couple more minutes tonight. It's one of those late starts because of Cardinals baseball, but it does give us the freedom to be live up until two o'clock, which you know happens sometimes, but not too often. And Megan Lynch, as you heard, maybe you heard, maybe you didn't. She started a new series called When Will It End? It's a series talking about the coronavirus and how we react to it, how we look at it, how we're going to live with it. Everything else is just part of us, our our interaction with it, our thoughts on it. And it started this morning on Total Information AM. If you are someone that is like me, who's up late and you don't get to catch that, I asked, hey, is it okay if I play it on Overnight America? And they said, sure, that would be great. And it's such good information, at least it's it's good uh, discussion, it's good thoughts that we're going to air it here each weeknight this week. And if you catch it in the morning, that's cool. If you don't, this is a great opportunity for us to share it with you. Conquering COVID. Now, the latest on KMOX. COVID has taken a tremendous toll. The last year has brought enormous loss and sacrifice. We are weary and anxious to get beyond the pandemic. This week, KMOX News is searching for answers to the question so many of us have been asking, when will it end? 
One by one, vehicles are directed into parking spots by National Guardsmen. Inside a massive hall, each person is screened multiple times, then sent to one of dozens of number tables where a masked nurse waits to administer the COVID vaccine. These mass vaccinations may bring us closer to a better reality than we've been living for more than a year. When will someone officially declare that the pandemic is over? I don't know if there's going to be a simple answer to that. Dr. Alex Garza, Chief Community Health Officer at SSM Health and the Incident Commander for the St. Louis Metropolitan Pandemic Task Force. I was thinking about this in preparation for this interview and and I was uh, thinking along the lines of uh, sort of a military campaign. And I, and I don't think that there's going to be any like, you know, grand signing on the deck of the USS Missouri or anything like that. Instead, Garza tells KMOX it will be a slow end with cases continuing. And at this point, it's hard to say what metric will be used. He anticipates federal agencies will at least tell us as we enter a different phase medically. Even with vaccines, Garza is very cautious about loosening mitigations too soon and suffering a setback. And I liken this to when I was deployed overseas in Iraq. And and we used to always tell ourselves, the soldiers, that is, that the most dangerous month is the month before you deploy home. And that's because you can get distracted and you start thinking about what's on the other side and then you lose focus. He does see a day when there will be improvement. I think we'll be sufficiently towards the end of the pandemic by the end of this summer, beginning of the fall. Magic July 4th, you know, is that going to be when we can grill out in our backyard with our friends that have been vaccinated? And I think, you know, it's it's certainly a realistic light at the end of the tunnel. Dr. Timothy Wimkin, associate professor at St. Louis University School of Medicine with the Department of Internal Medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases, Allergy and Immunology. He's referring to the Biden administration prediction based on vaccine rollout in the United States. Wimkin says while the COVID vaccines that have been developed are amazing, they're not a miracle. It was never really a situation where we were going to end the virus. Wimkin reminds the goal was to eliminate the bad outcomes and deaths. We're going to live with this virus probably for the rest of humanity. Wimkin says what we've learned this past year fighting COVID-19 could be a game changer. I do a lot of influenza research to watch what happened with influenza when we started the, the lockdowns last year. You know, flu disappeared faster than it had ever disappeared before in the history of influenza surveillance. This year in the United States, there was no flu season. Generally, we see several hundred pediatric deaths due to flu every year. There's been one this year. Wimkin stresses many of the measures that have changed our lives so much, such as social distancing and masking, could knock out a score of respiratory viruses that overwhelm health care every winter. There are signs that people are only willing to hold out so long before they want back what they had before the coronavirus outbreak. The social end of the pandemic could come before the actual medical end. Dr. Alex Garza. We're already starting to see that with certain states declaring ends to mask mandates and opening up restaurants and bars well ahead of what the CDC recommends. As time goes on and more and more people receive the vaccine and cases drop and hospitalizations drop, there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure to loosen up a a lot of the mitigation strategies. Is there the will to maintain some of those precautions? In our next report, Maria Kina looks at whether masks could out... Yeah, well, the worst of the pandemic. There it is. Yeah, my computer was started to <laughs> mess that up towards the end. But one of the nice things about these segments is that we're going to have the opportunity to air the specials here tonight.
and rest of the week at night. But with the Cardinals playing so late, it's always weird to do these late night shows because you have Cardinals baseball and like tonight you get a loss and you're thinking, man, Washington's not a good team. And we lost to them tonight. And you do the post game and you hear the stories and you hear the reports. And then finally, an hour after the game ends, you get the start of the show and you have to, you have to like get your momentum back up. It's different when you start the show at eight o'clock and you just are ready to jump into it. You have your guests live, but in this case, it's very difficult to require a guest to be on with you after midnight because a lot of them are over on the East coast. So right now it would be two fifty three AM for them. And I would say, Hey, uh, Dr. Jill, can you come on? <laughs> can you come on? And join me at 2.05 a.m. to do this interview. And the answer would be no. So a lot of these things have been recorded. And it'll be like that tomorrow, too. But it doesn't mean you can't interact with the show or message me. I'm on Facebook, Ryan Record Radio. And I got a message from Wayne who was talking about how much he enjoyed Dave Parker as a player. And he said, oh, I wish Dave would have been a Cardinal. That would have been awesome. That guy had a arm on him. If you missed any of those things, you can go back. And listen to it on the podcast. Just search for Overnight America on there if you want to message me on Facebook. Ryan Recker Radio is the way to do that. Or if you want to just do anything else, I do post things online at KMOX.com. We'll be back again on Tuesday night after Cardinals baseball. I hope you can join me then. We have a lot of other great guests we're going to bring you. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your night, and we'll talk to you soon. Good night. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.